This is Katie Prejean McGrady, and this is Ave Explores. few days before sitting down to record this episode with Sister Anu's Day of the Sisters of Life, I was uh, scrolling through the Sisters of Life website. And my daughter, who's almost three, looked over my shoulder and she saw this picture of these four nuns in their white and blue habits with these beautiful smiles. And she said, Mommy, who are they? And um, I just kind of like looked at her and I said, oh, well, these are these are sisters of life. And she kind of looked at me, and and my daughter has been around nuns before. Uh, It's not completely foreign to her, but she'd never seen this particular group of nuns. And she she looked back at the picture, and she went, oh, they're such pretty mommies. And I, I love that capturing of this particular religious order. They're such pretty mommies. The Sisters of Life, of course, based in New York City, founded by a cardinal of New York, um, exist to promote, advocate for, and defend the unborn. But they do this not by simply saying we're pro-life, but by doing the hard, laborious work of spending time with women and men who find themselves needing help. And Sister Anu's Day today tells us the story of how the Sisters of Life do that, by taking time to sit and to have a cup of tea, to, to really listen to the stories of men and women who are in need, which is perhaps, I think, the, the crux of doing the work of social justice, of becoming the hands and feet of Jesus Christ, that we focus on the people in front of us, not just the task to be completed, that we love the men and women who come with a need, with a desire, with with a purpose, which is to ask for help, which is oftentimes such a brave thing to do in the first place. A sister and I were talking about her journey into the Sisters of Life and her discernment experience and, of course, what work she gets to do, a former nurse herself, perhaps most suited for this particular order. I was struck by the the, the very obvious reality that there's great joy in this work. And that's something I I don't think can be understated. And I'm certain that you will hear and you will see as this episode unfolds that there's a a delight and excitement about this work, a real urgency to the work to be sure, but an understanding that this is a cooperation with God's own mission and that there's great delight that can be taken in the work. I think sometimes as we are doing the work of the the Catholic social teaching of the church, we're putting boots on the ground, we're working to fight injustice, we're working to help those affected by homelessness and struggling through a pregnancy, those who are imprisoned and, and left aside and pay me forgotten in society, those who need help, not just with rent, but perhaps finding a job or finding community and, and feeling as if they're a part of something again, that sometimes it's very easy to get bogged down in the details of doing that work. Walk into any Catholic charities in America, and sure, you're, you're going to see a, a food pantry and volunteers, but you're also going to find an office where there's a lot of paperwork. But even in doing that paperwork, 
even in making your way through that food pantry, even in having those sometimes very difficult conversations with people to figure out how to help, there is a great measure of joy. And Sister Anu's day today really shares that joy. It's, it's infectious. It's captivating. Talking to her through a Zoom call, I, I didn't want to hang up the phone. And, and when my daughter came running in the room to say hi, her face lit up like only a mom's would. Because these women, these sisters, who are doing this work of advocating for life, of fighting for justice, of helping women and men who find themselves in need in the midst of a pregnancy, which is always surprising and can always be challenging regardless of circumstances, but they are driven on, they are spurred on, they are inspired by, they are pushed forward in their work by a love of Jesus, a love of Jesus which brings great joy and excitement into that work. As we unpacked and explored the mission of the Sisters of Life and her vocation story, and I was struck by her beauty and I was captivated by her joy, there was this kind of moment that clicked with me even as I was editing the episode where I wish that every person who has ever called themselves pro-life or even has perhaps fought against the cause of of advocating for life of the unborn could meet this sister, could meet any of the sisters of life and listen to their, their story and their mission and the way that they promote life within the world. I think you'll be very, very captivated by what she has to say, that you'll be inspired to perhaps even get more involved in working for justice and, and saving the unborn in our world today, but we'll most especially be inspired to recognize that when we advocate for life, that's precisely what we're doing. We're advocating for something, the joy of the Lord spurring us on. This is, of course, all part of our Ave Explorers series, Ave Explorers Faith in Action. You can find everything that we've created over on AveMariaPress.com. The links are down in the show notes. But today, of course, we bring to you this excellent conversation with Sister Anu's Day of the Sisters of Life about fighting for and defending life in the world today through a charism of the Sisters of Life, which is to encounter and delight the men and women that they meet. Without further ado, Sister Anu's Day. So, sister, where, where are you from? So, yeah, originally from Maine. I grew up in the sticks, they call it. So, yeah. Um, I'm one of eight kids. Uh, loved my rural Maine upbringing. Uh, I have a twin sister. I have uh, five sisters, two brothers. And, um, yeah, really enjoyed just the natural beauty of that place. And I think really a place that allowed me to encounter God in and through the natural world and find stillness and silence. And um, when I look back, I just see the incredible fruit of that in my life because, yeah, um, I probably grew up in an average Catholic home. Um, my mom was very faithful, but my dad actually, um, his his faith journey was just that, a lifelong journey. And he entered the church about 20 years into the marriage, I think. Um, and uh, so, so, yeah, um, I didn't get a ton of... Um, Catholic culture in my local community in rural Maine, just uh, a warm handshake, uh, warm-hearted people, people of goodwill, uh, people who taught me a lot of natural virtue um, and living life, uh, just 
just having fun. Um, but then, yeah, I think my experience in Canada with God more deeply um, flourished when I went to college. So. Yeah. So how did you choose CUA? I mean, if, if it was just kind of a normal Catholic, it's a pretty Catholic college. What led you there? <laughs> it's a very Catholic college. Yes. Katie, it's an awesome question because I think choosing Catholic University was one of the first decisions I remember making because I knew God wanted me to and not necessarily because um, it was in my plans. So I remember telling the Lord, I'm like, okay, because I went and visited CUA kind of on a, a whim. I'm like, I'll give it a chance. And uh, I visited and it, like my, my heart was like, shoot, I think this is where God <laughs> wants me to be. Um, but I also had big dreams in athletics and academics and um, it was D3, which was great and had a strong nursing program, which I was interested in. Um, and so I said, okay, Lord, if you give me this much money in scholarship, I'll go. Yeah. And uh, basically I got my acceptance letter back from Catholic University to the dollar, to the wow. dollar. I got the, the money I asked the Lord for, and that was a confirmation. Yeah. Um, and really, I think a, a real step into uh, wanting to come to know my faith. Uh, in a sense, it was kind of a lot of ideas. Um, and I wanted to see if he was for real. Is God for real? And I would say uh, my four years at Catholic University uh, blew me away. You know, just welcomed me into uh, such a beautiful culture of faith, uh, but also a culture where people are asking questions. Washington, D.C. is kind of a, a great place where you've got a lot of politics, you've got a lot of culture, you've got a lot of fun things, and so also being challenged in my faith. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, incredible years at Catholic University of America. I'm eternally grateful. Yeah. What did you end up studying while you were there? So I did study nursing and okay. absolutely loved it. And then worked as a nurse for a couple of years or really for a solid year before entering the Sisters of Life. Yeah. So what led you to them? I mean, that it's a, there's a pretty, you know, and I, I love that it's, you had a family that was Catholic, but like you weren't necessarily praying a rosary every night, but yet here you are as a sister. I think people think that sometimes, well, nuns and priests only become that way because they had these uber devout families, but your journey yeah. is one of, and I love it. It's very normal. It's a, it's a very normal progression. Yes. Thanks, Katie. Thanks for saying I'm normal. <laughs> It's an no, affirmation, I promise. No, you're absolutely right in the sense um, I didn't, I never encountered young religious. Um, I didn't even know it was a possibility growing mm -hmm. up in rural Maine. And then certainly at Catholic University of America, they call it a little Rome because yeah. there's many religious there. And I just remember meeting um, young sisters and I was like, what? Mm -hmm. Like, I was actually almost angry at their joy. I was like, how can you be that happy? Like that, how is that for real? Um, but it gave me permission, like it opened a new door in my heart. Um, and I was, I would say too, it's like, um, the more that you come to know God's love, I think the natural response is you become more and more generous in your heart. And I think my mom, God bless her. She was a faithful Catholic woman. Um, and even though I wasn't playing it, praying a daily rosary, she was, um, yeah. and helping my dad along and, and, and laboring to, to bring faith into the home in the ways that she could. Um, but, uh, yeah, I remember, um, well, the, the bottom line on that is I met the sisters of life because my older sister entered the community four years ahead of me. Wow. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. There's a double family. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. I've got a twin sister who is married, has five kids. And then I have 
a sister sister uh, who is also a sister of life and entered four years ahead of me. But even with that, Katie, like when she entered, I was like, hey, that's cool. Like, but it was a total mystery to me. I was like, mm-hmm. I don't get it. Like, it's beautiful <laughs> if you want to give your life to the Lord. Um, but I don't get it. And so I would visit the sisters and hang out with them. And I thought they were great women, but never felt a call um, until the day that I did. Yeah. And so what was that like? You walked into the chapel and Jesus spoke from the cross. I mean, did you have a Thomas Aquinas moment or was it more subtle than that? Amen. Well, I would call it, it was definitely what I like to call a grace bomb. Like, boom. Yeah. Um, But what I would say is uh, I was working as a nurse um, in intensive care and that was a pretty big adventure in itself. And, um, and I think after graduating from college, uh, I really wanted to know my vocation. Um, and I kind of had this approach, like, I just got to figure it out. And the Lord just was like, just be still, be still. I want to give this to you as a gift. And so that year, it was just a year of kind of stepping back and um, finding time for daily prayer just so that I could be listening. Um, and yet he, the Lord, I knew was taking pressure off of that question. He just needed to create more space in my heart to be able to really receive his invitation and so it was actually, um, we had, there was a, a code on the floor. I, I was working the night shift and praise be to God. Um, this was a woman who coded, which means she went into, uh, yeah, it was a pretty intense medical situation. Mm-hmm. Um, she was a mother and I remember being scared to death. I was like, oh my gosh, um, just the fragility of life, the beauty of life, the preciousness of life. And praise be to God, we were able to stabilize her. And I just remember sitting down at the nurse's station and um, things had quieted down and it was like taking that deep breath. And um, just, I knew that uh, a new place was opening in my heart and the Lord was inviting me to kind of lean in. And um, I remember I went home that morning after my night shift and I had a a roommate and I just remember saying, and I couldn't even believe what was coming out of my mouth. I was like, "Uh, Christine, I think I have a vocation. And she looked at me and she just said, you're tired, go to bed. (laughs) So she, yeah, she thought it was definitely due to the fatigue and the the intensity of the night. But when I woke up, there was this fire in my heart and Mm -hmm. I didn't know what to do. Uh, All I knew is I needed to talk to someone. So I called the vocations director for the Diocese of Washington, D.C., and I was like, I think this priest thought I was nuts. I was like, listen, I don't really know what's going on in my heart, but I just need to talk to somebody. So he was very gracious. He welcomed me in for a conversation. And um, basically he said, listen, go before the Lord and just um, be quiet. Just be quiet. Stop talking. Uh, Ask to know the deepest desires of your heart. And then um, pray for the grace not to be afraid of what comes. I'm like, cool. Um, And not that vocation is received on a formula, but um, I have to tell you, the, the Holy Spirit just really anointed his words. And I remember walking to the National Shrine of the Immaculate Conception, kneeling down for the 515 Mass, um, which I had gone to regularly throughout my college years, um, and um, said those prayers. And this unbelievable peace, like, descended. It was so unbelievable. And uh, I remember when I went up to receive our Lord in Holy Communion, I knew I was being invited to receive him in a new way. And as I prayed my Thanksgiving, it was this beautiful, beautiful invitation. Like the veil of my heart was just pulled back. And I could, yes, in a sense, in my heart, hear the Lord's voice, simply invite me, uh, 
consecrated life with the sisters of life. Will you come? Wow. And I remember that was a great small <laughs> moment and God knew I needed one. Um, and really truly though, every little molecule in my being like erupted in this, like, yes. Like I knew it was my blueprint. I knew it was the way I was called to love and be loved as much as like the vocation in itself was such a mystery. Like I really didn't know much about religious life in, in many ways. Um, but I knew this call of love and to be honest, everything was totally un, like paled my job. I had friends. I had, I had a great life in front of me and yet everything paled and all I could do was, um, yeah, run after this invitation. That was 13 years ago. And I have to tell you, wow. <laughs> uh, it gets better every day. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm more in love with God today than I was yesterday. And I can't believe I get to live, um, this life. Yeah. So it's crazy, but I definitely was not voted most likely to be a nun <laughs> at any stage. <laughs> well, that's, I mean, it's, there's so much there. It's a love story. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a slow working through. And I think this is one of the biggest challenges with vocation discernment. I work a lot with young people and it's always like, no, the Lord's going to speak to you in moments where you're doing your job or you're mm-hmm. studying for your test or you're, you're driving to Walmart. And that's really those, it's those moments where he'll illuminate to you what he wants you to do. And he puts people in your path to help you figure that out. Um, I'm, I'm curious. So that you have a sister in the sisters of life that, that community was obviously on your mind. Yeah. What about the charism of the sisters of life and the story yeah. of the sisters of life? Cause I mean, you, you guys are, are you women, you moms, as my daughter would call you are such a unique vocation in the church right now. So tell, tell me about the order itself. Absolutely. Um, well, we're almost 30 years old. So oh, wow. <laughs> yes, we're young. The community yeah. is very young in the life of the church. Um, and um, wow, the charism of life. Um, yeah. we, we lay down our lives that others might live. You know, we believe in the preciousness of human life, that each and every single person is good, um, is an original splendor, uh, and in a sense have the privilege of professing that with our whole lives. Um, through a life of prayer and um, through various missions that the Holy Spirit has stirred up since our founding in 1991. And one of the most compelling uh, graces, a number of graces led to our founding. Our founder was John Cardinal O'Connor. He was the Cardinal Archbishop of New York. And um, a poignant moment for him that later became a catalyst for his founding our community um, was a moment he had actually when he traveled and visited Dachau which was a, a concentration camp during World War II. And um, when he was walking through Dachau, again, very prayerfully, um, just to, to, to reverence that place was where, where so many uh, terrible things happened. Um, so many lives were lost. And he had a great passion for life. And he, he said there was a moment where he placed his hand in one of the crematoria or one of the ovens where um, victims of the Holocaust were burned. And he was cut to the heart. You know, he said, my God, how can human beings do this to other human beings? And forth from that point really made this personal vow um, that he would do everything he possibly could to, to protect, to enhance, to unveil the beauty of the human person. I mean, he was a man who was a, a cardinal. He was an admiral in the Navy. Like he had degrees and crazy stuff like that, um, you know, well accomplished. And yet he said, I knew really nothing until that moment, like mm. the sense of theology, 
uh, the theology of life burst into um, full color for him, that it wasn't six million Jews that lost their lives in the Holocaust. It was one person six million times and the preciousness of that life, of all human life. Mm. And so that was um, something that uh, pierced him to the heart. And one of the graces, among others, that eventually led to his founding uh, the Sisters of Life, because in a sense, he had labored in the pro-life movement, as we've come to know it, for years. And yet he was, um, the question came to his heart, like, you know, we're doing all this stuff. We're praying these prayers. There's these marches. There's these, there's activism, but we're not making the progress. And not even progress, but like he wanted, is this really effective? And what the Lord put on his heart is that you need women consecrated to the cause of life. You need women laying down their lives that others might live um, to make that total self-gift of themselves, an imitation of Jesus Christ, that um, this new grace that the Holy Spirit wants to pour in to the heart of each person, that they are known, that they're loved, that they're precious, that they're good, that they're unique, unrepeatable, living icons of God, and to build um, a culture of life, and civilization of love uh, forth from that. So that's a nutshell. <laughs> and out, out of that comes the Sisters of Life. So, I mean, there's, again, there's so much there. It's such beautiful teaching and explanation that women laying down their lives for the cause of life. Mm-hmm. How does that, first of all, well, explain to me why. I mean, I obviously am a pro-life person. I imagine most of the people listening to this are pro-life, but but what's the thought process there from, from a Catholic perspective and even from a secular perspective that life is worth fighting for and defending mm-hmm. in its most vulnerable forms? Because that's, I think, critically important to understand before we even talk about how we do it. Well, why would that work be necessary? Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, in, in many ways, um, I probably said it in other forms, but it's like when you pull from Scripture, again, um, we're made in the image and likeness of God. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, you can float over that that sentence, but like, whoa, like, yeah. <laughs> whoa, like we're made in the image and likeness of God. So in a sense, you, me, like every person is, um, God has shared his life with you. And in a way, like if we think about God, God is love. And if we think about that, we think about, oh my gosh, like, He's giving you a love, like you are a gift fundamentally um, that this world has never seen and will never see again. Mm-hmm. And God chose you. Like he, he, you were a thought of God before you came to be, you were a thought of God. He dreamt you up and he has dreams for your life. Um, he has a unique way for you to express him, uh, to be a gift to the world, um, to bring love to life, so to speak. And that in my, in my heart, and even, even if I wasn't God fearing, it's like, we have the intuition that there's a value to life, right? I mean, even as we're, we're living through these days of pandemic, the whole world has stopped. Why have we stopped to protect vulnerable human life actually? Mm -hmm. Like, because it's worth it because, um, and whether they're, they're on the margins. I mean, this is for our elderly, elderly or those who are uh, more frail in health that, even if you're frail in health, even if you're elderly in your, in your final years, you are worth it. Mm-hmm. Um, so the image, the likeness of God that we can give and receive as he does. And if we think about the, the image of communion um, found in the Trinity, again, we're getting theological, but actually 
this is everyday kind of stuff. Like Mm -hmm. we are happiest. We're most fully alive when we are giving and receiving. Um, We find ourselves in giving ourselves away, uh, throwing our lives away in love. And I think, I mean, you can look at the movies, you can look at songs. I mean, but they're, they're all about love. They're all about um, things that inspire us. Like, you know, dang, it's when you see someone giving their life um, Mm -hmm. in love for others. So uh, I don't know. It's, it's another yeah. little key, uh, but I, yeah, the human person, um, it is, it is more beautiful than the most gorgeous of sunsets than the, the, the galaxies, actually. None of those, I mean, the, the human person is more, is yeah. more. Um, and, and it is worth worth fighting for in, in every iteration, old, young, unborn, homeless, wealthy, poor. I mean, there's, there's no matter what circumstances are affecting a life, that life is still precious and valuable and unique. And the sisters of life fight for that life specifically in, in aiding and, and loving women who find themselves in, and I I don't even know if the right term is crisis pregnancies or unexpected Mm -hmm. pregnancies who find themselves pregnant and needing help. So what's that work look like? We know why it's important, but what, what does it look like in practice uh, at the convent in New York City? In New York City, okay, well, we're going to bring it to ground zero. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's really beautiful, Katie, because I think too, um, so you speak of our, we call it our visitation mission. Um, so the privilege of walking with women, yes, facing unexpected pregnancies. Um, and I think if you ask any woman, who becomes pregnant, it's usually like, holy smokes. Like it's usually, oh, absolutely. <laughs> right? Whatever circumstance you're in, it's like, oh my gosh. Like, yeah. Um, it's big. And a lot of times um, it, pres- it, it creates a crisis. Um, I think for many women, uh, it can provoke a lot of fear because there's a lot of pressure these days um, for your five-year plan, your 10-year plan. And an untimely pregnancy, it's like, shoot. Uh, I think a lot of women that we talk to feel like it's either my life or the baby's life. Uh, and, and they don't, they also feel a lot of times what we find is alone. You know, the people they thought would be there for them. Um, it can be scary. And um, sometimes they walk away and she's left alone with this decision, which it's a lot to carry. It's a big decision. Um, so, you know, in the, at the, at the heart of it, Katie, we basically, um, we have the privilege of simply being a sister, right? Mm. And as you say, um, uh, as mothers, drawing her into a harbor where she can really um, come into the heart of who she is as a woman and move forth from, from that place towards making life-giving decisions. And so really, uh, we call it um, delighting in her. We listen. That's the first thing we do. Um, we're like, hey, uh, sounds like usually they'll call from the clinic and they're they're crying and they're like, I don't know what to do. And we're like, gosh, it sounds like you're having a really rough day. <laughs> and um, I think acknowledging reality um, and and yeah, being human, being real with with the intensity of the experience and then listening her into life. What are the pressures she feels? What are the fears that she feels? Um, and then also what are her hopes? What are her dreams? What are the desires of her heart? Um, and um, we just, we listen, we sit down, have a cup of tea, cookies. It might, uh, and we're, we're not going anywhere. We're moving from a place of leisure. Like it's our privilege actually to, to contemplate, to receive the beauty of, of her person. And I think um, we like to call it delighting in her. Um, 
really our work is not to tell her not to have an abortion. And that might sound crazy. Certainly, um, our charism seeks to protect um, vulnerable human life and beginning with the unborn. Um, and yet we know the best thing that we can do to protect that life is actually to delight in, in their mother, in her. And as we delight in her, as we reflect back to her, her courage, her beauty, her goodness, as she comes to know her goodness and her strength, um, like, like she is going to discover like, oh my gosh, it's like explosive. Um, I can't even articulate it because a woman who knows she's loved, a woman who knows she's good, she can do anything. Um, and so she does. Uh, we don't have to tell her not to have an abortion because once she comes to know her own goodness, Mm -hmm. She can choose for that the good life that she's carrying and um, act for it, protect it, live for it, um, and choose love and not fear, not to be driven by fear. And we see miracles happen. I mean, it's outrageous. We know that God has this crazy love for pregnant women and uh, <laughs> he loves to spoil them. So we just kind of participate in his dreams for that woman. And yeah. It's the way of beauty versus the way of fear, just like you said. Yes. Um, and you've seen these miracle stories. You've seen these glory stories. I, my real question, I think, for you, who joined an order after working in healthcare, mm -hmm. focused on really helping these women make that choice, what, is it, what does it look like for you to have that privilege to walk with them? Like, what has that done for your relationship with God? Yeah. You know, every woman is called to be a mother. How has your motherhood been amplified or mm -hmm. you've really seen that play out in your vocation? Ugh. Kitty, it's like one of those <laughs> questions anyone's ever asked me, and I, I know I'll only fail in being able to express um, the beauty. Because um, even, what can I say, whether I'm walking with a woman uh, faced with an unexpected pregnancy and, uh, and having the privilege of walking with her and being inspired by her courage, um, her choosing love over fear, that inspires me to do the same. Whether I'm walking with a woman who is actually um, seeking to heal um, after, after an experience of abortion, because we also have a, a ministry um, of accompaniment to, for, for women and for men who come to us seeking uh, hope and healing after that experience. Um, those women have taught me the power of God's mercy. They have taught me there is nothing, there is nothing um, that God's mercy cannot uh, consume, no darkness he cannot bring light into, no, uh, no wound he cannot bring new life into. Um, as I have uh, had the privilege of, of just bringing, um, you know, God's message of life and love to young people to, and to see them receive it into their hearts and, and be animated by it to give the fullness of the love that they've been entrusted um, Gosh, I would say in the last 13 years, it's like, yeah, to experience the incredible privilege of, of being a mother to all, um, to watching little pockets of, of life open up and explode. Um, I, I'm almost like totally overwhelmed by the question, Katie, because all I can say is God is everything that he says he is, um, like... And the love that he extends, we underestimate the power of God's love. I mean, to bear witness to what he will do when we simply give him permission. Mm -hmm. Because in a way, too, it's not what I have done. Actually, it has nothing to do. It's like I give him this little space 
Um, I, I put out the welcome mat that I can um, to say, let it be done and echo Our Lady in Spiat. And then I watch the Holy Spirit like breathe life into others, into places, mm. into souls that um, astounds me. Mm. That um, that's made a believer out of me, Katie, um, and and a mother. Yeah. So. Well, yeah, it's like asking a mom, "What's your favorite part of being a mom?" I mean, that's a hard <laughs> question to answer. You could say anything from when they go to bed at night all the way to that smile that they give you mm-hmm. when they they've accomplished something. I mean, I, I it's. It's beautiful to hear, and I, I think a very accessible truth to hear that the the goal is so much more than just babies being born, but is really about healing and understanding of self-worth and dignity is truly the only thing that ends up saving any kind of life and makes life truly worth living, to echo a, you know, a New York archbishop, right, to, to truly bring that truth to bear. Absolutely. Well, and I think sometimes people can, can misunderstand us. Like they think we're the anti-abortion nuns or like, you know, we're the, the morality police when it comes to life and love or something, but actually we're, we're way more for something. We're about building something. We're about finding that catch of love. We're about mm-hmm. expanding um, God's beauty as he wants to fill and flood the earth with it and every heart and soul. Um, we're so much more a yes uh, to life than than a no. We want to build. We want to bring to life a whole culture um, of life, um, starting with one heart at a time, one heart at a time. That we're not doing this because we're good. We're actually doing this because the person in front of us is so good and so worth it. That God has spoken His yes to the um, to the human person, and He spoke that from the cross, and He's spoken that eternally. And we want to get on that train. We want to echo God's yes to Absolutely. each and every single human person. So what, what does that look like then? Um, I, I mean, we know how it looks in your convent and under your charism. I'm listening to this. We're close to the end. Mm-hmm. And I, I just want to know how I can help more than just writing a check, which is always important. <laughs> the, the gala every year is critically important and we'll have a link to donations in the show notes. But like, if I'm, if I'm listening to this and I feel compelled to do more for the cause of life, and I, I say it that way rather than the pro-life movement because it seems much bigger than just, like you said, being against something. We're really for something. How can I do that in my lived, often lay reality of, of the people that are listening to this episode? I love the question, Katie. And it reminds me of a question that reporters asked Cardinal O'Connor um, in the early years of our community. And they would ask her, okay, what are the sisters going to do? What are the sisters going to do? Um, what are they going to do? <laughs> and, and Colonel Connor, they would get kind of upset with him because he would not answer the question. He would say again and again, it's not about what they're going to do. It's about who they are. Mm. And what he knew, there was a not so little philosopher in him that if we tapped into the being, the being, like God has shared his life with us, with you, with me. Um, and it might seem abstract, but actually like, pulling back into the heart of who we are, letting ourselves be loved. I mean, honestly, the best thing we can do is to let ourselves be loved, to receive ourselves from God the Father, not from the passing opinions of others, not from cultural standards, not from expectations we put on ourselves, but actually like receive the precious gift um, that God had in mind when he fashioned you, um, to receive yourself, 
from God the Father. Because what does that do? That anchors us in being. And who are we ultimately? We're sons and daughters. Mm. Um, we are, we are, we've been established through our baptism in a covenant love with God the Father. That's eternal. Um, that's not a passing thing. Um, that's something we can take refuge and shelter in that can draw us into the depth of security that we long for, draws us out of exile, right? Like we love wandering off. Well, God the Father wants us in his heart as his beloved sons and daughters cherishing us. It turns us into loyal brothers and sisters. We're ready to help the person next to us in a heartbeat. Why? Because we know we're good and we know the person next to us is good. And we're ready to give ourselves away to those next to us. It makes us faithful, loving spouses. Um, we're ready to commit ourselves in a lifelong commitment of love fearlessly. Why? Because we're receiving this incredible love that we know we're going to fall back on when things are tough, when things are hard, when the hard yes to love is in front of us, which I think for us in lifelong vocations, yeah, it's, it shows up every day, a hundred times a day. And when you've got the Lord backing you up, when you're anchored um, in him, it's possible. And then it transforms us into fruitful mothers, um, loving fathers. Um, and that, who doesn't want more motherhood and fatherhood? Um, we, we all want to rest in that. And actually, it's kind of like the height of, of that, that giving and receiving. Um, there's no greater joy than being a mother, I don't think, um, of being a father. I think if you ask any mother or father, it's the greatest gift of our lives. And um, so it's, it's daughters and brothers um, and sons, sorry. So daughters and sons, <laughs> brothers and sisters, faithful spouses and, and mothers and fathers. That builds strong families. That builds healthy cultures. That builds a thriving society. Um, and that's, I think, the best thing you can do is let yourself be loved and become who you are in God. Yeah. Amen. Um, my favorite question to ask sisters or, or religious brothers who've changed their name, the last way I love to end conversations is, why did you choose the name you chose? Because it's a, it's a, you're changing your identity. Your name is huge. Yes. Um, and, and as you know, you have another sister that's there, maybe what her name is too. And how's your, how did your mom and dad take that? <laughs> you know, two daughters giving up their names to give their life to Jesus. But what, tell me first about your name. Amen. Well, Sister Marie Anuste. Uh, which is, you know, Mary's Lamb of God. And, um, you know, God, God had this name in mind, I think, from all eternity. And my baptismal name is Rachel, which means lamb. Mm. And um, as I was discerning, I knew uh, God was calling me to be a living sacrifice. And I was really drawn to Romans 12.1 and into this whole, like, lamb spirituality and when I entered religious life, um, I remember hearing a sister speak of consecration being a deepening of our baptismal grace. And so Anu's day just kept coming to my heart, coming to my heart. Um, and what I saw it was really, it was a flowering of my baptismal identity as Rachel. And so it's, it's only a deepening. It's only a becoming even more of, mm. of, of what God had in mind. And then all through Our Lady, I knew I couldn't do it without her. And Marie is of Mary or to Mary. It's like, I'm hers, I'm his. And in that way, I can follow after the good shepherd and please God, um, make a, a total um, offering in my life uh, that that his love might flourish. So that's, the, that's a, it's beautiful. In, in a nutshell. That's beautiful. I love it. 
Um, well, sister, I, where can we find out more about the Sisters of Life? There's, of course, a website. If somebody wants to help or volunteer. I know there's retreats offered. Where should they go? Absolutely. Sistersoflife.org. And certainly if you want to, every, everyone has a gift to put at the service of life. So you can certainly fill out, we call them co-workers of life, no matter where you are in the world. We love, we actually are creating a whole global network of people um, that we can come in contact with when a woman should call us, whether she's in Japan or Alabama, um, we can hook her up with friends. Uh, or yeah, we've got a lot of fun uh, YouTube channels, this is like YouTube mm. channel, if you just want to kind of soak in a little bit more about what, what we're about. Um, and then we have a lot of beautiful articles and stories and such um, on our website as well. So we can't wait to hang out with you there. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much. Um, we'll have all of that in the show notes, of course. Thanks for your time, sister. And so good to be with you, Katie. I told you she was joyful, inspiring and exciting and has a real passion and a drive. And it's very obvious that she's spurred on by the love of Christ Jesus to do this essential work. I hope that as you listened to Sister and you heard about the work of the Sisters of Life, it perhaps inspired you even in your advocacy for life and the situations and the circumstances in which you find yourself, that we can delight in the men and women who find themselves in need and provide for their needs by first paying attention to them, which is really the story of this entire Ave Explorer series on faith and action, that we care about the person who is in need, not just the problem to be solved. This has been highlighted, of course, in the episodes that we have done thus far in this podcast season with Father Josh Johnson and Sister Josephine Garrett, with Chris Frank of Vagabond Missions, with Father Kevin Sandberg about what social justice work even means in the first place. The entire point of this series is to inspire you to go do that good work by loving good people. Later this week, we have a special episode with Steve Camilleri of the Center for the Homeless up in South Bend, Indiana, talking about how they do this work and delighting in people and helping individual people within uh, an organization that specifically helps those affected by homelessness, which can happen to anybody, as well as articles and video content that's available on the Ave Maria Press website under the Ave Explorers tab. You can find it all there. There's still time for you to sign up so you can receive this content directly into your email inbox for another week. There's also a great giveaway basket that you uh, can sign up to receive. It's got all sorts of incredible things, fair trade coffee, fair trade jewelry, a really cute saint's pillow, things that, that could help bring this mission of helping others alive within your home, as well as showcasing some goods from people who are out doing this in the world. So we hope you go find that over on our social media pages, as well as on AveMariaPress.com. You can find the backlog of all of our episodes, all 41 of them, over on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. We'd be grateful for a rating and a review to help continue to grow our listenership and the footprint of this show. Um, We're so grateful to those of you who subscribe and listen every week and who give us excellent feedback. We hope that you enjoyed this week's episode and that you enjoy the content that's coming for the rest of this season. Again, hop over to AveMariaPress.com find all the details about our Ave Explorer series on faith and action. 